Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Don't let anybody tell you that you haven't got enough money. It's about your vision and it's about your drive and it's about your ability to find a bargain and turn it into something that will make you a profit. Hi, welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor podcast. And it's Jerry Alexander here with Bryn Walker. Hi, Bryn. Hi, Jerry. Nice to have you here. And um, we're going to talk all things SaaS today, right? Yeah, we are. I'll do my level best to talk all things SaaS. And uh, thank you very much for having me here. Yep, great to have you here. Right, okay, so um, I want to do a couple of different things on this. We have had some episodes about SaaS before, so we've covered this topic before. But as you and I have said beforehand, I mean, there's so many arms and legs to this. It's really difficult to actually pin it down in a nice little format. So I want to do a bit of a recap on SaaS and the power of SaaS, particularly with commercial property. And then I think the real value we could give is some examples that people have done in the past. Yep, but sounds bef- good. Before we get into that, let's just set the scene of who Bryn Walker is. Maybe give the listeners just a bit of background, Bryn, as to how you are, where you are now in this world of SaaS. Okay, I'll try and do the, the, the abridged version. So yeah, I'm Bryn Walker. I'm a SaaS consultant with Retirement Capital. Uh, Retirement Capital are one of the preeminent SaaS administrators um, in the UK. So feel free to talk to us about all things SaaS, whether you've got one, whether you want one, we'll do our best to help. Um, I'm 52 years old. My career in financial services started back in 1989, which seems an awful long time ago now. It is. <laughs> it is, yeah. With a company called Commercial Union, who um, don't even exist anymore. I think they've merged into, into Aviva. So yeah, 1989, Commercial Union uh, first gave me a job as a trainee pensions consultant. Apparently, I kind of talked to it uh, like a duck to water, which uh, says something sad about me, I guess. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed pensions and uh, and what 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 obviously they the help they can give to people in the long run. Um, about five year, four or five years after I started work for Commercial Union, they decided to sell the arm of the business I worked for um, to to one of their competitors, a company I didn't particularly respect. Um, so, being you know, 24 and full of uh, full of youthful exuberance, I decided to set up my own independent financial advisory. Uh, business, which I did for the next uh, the next ten years, um, I, I, I grew that. Uh, had a number of uh, admin staff advisors working for me, uh, which, which was enjoyable. Um, but I sort of reached a crossroads in my in my career where I thought really the products that uh, that, that the general public were being um, asked to buy weren't particularly um, great value. I felt a little bit um, sort of immoral, I suppose, talk, talking about some of the insurance company products. So I sold my IFA uh, practice and and decided to set up a pension company um, for my sins so that I could do it properly. So that was back in uh, about 2002, 2003. And basically I've been uh, running pensions for people um, ever since. I say I currently find myself a partner of Retirement Capital, um, uh, quite a fast-growing SaaS administration company. So... 
that's the potted history of me in a minute. Brilliant. All right. So it's not just um, SAS. There's a big, deep background there of um, working with pensions, people with their um, investments. But yes, the very much so. Um, I think my bio just you know talks about every different type of of pension out there. Um, I've been involved in over thirty. You know, I've been involved within the last thirty years. And um, the focus now is is SAS. I think SAS is probably you know the most interesting, most exciting. If pensions could be exciting, I do try to make them exciting. Um, I think that's the most <laughs> the most interesting um, pension product out there. Allows me to work with uh, with with entrepreneurial people, which which, which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, and yeah, bring the bring the power of SaaS, the power of SaaS pensions to help them grow their business. You know, um, any sort of you know any which way we can with that's within the rules. Okay, so let's just go through a little bit of the. <coughs> The recap stuff, right? So first off, I'm just going to pause, bring, bring that down a bit and try and forget it's there. I will do. <laughs> just yeah, I'm not chill. used to micro. Yeah, I'll chill. <laughs> chill, okay. Blindfold myself. La, la, la. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's just remind ourselves what a SAS pension is. And bearing in mind there are some listeners that are not in the UK and there will be some, definitely some different products in different markets. But essentially a SAS um, is a UK pension investment product, right? And it is. You can maybe just go through a little bit more of some of the basic parameters of it, Bryn. Okay, so a, a SAS stands for Small Self-Administered Scheme. Um, a, a SAS, a Small Self-Administered Scheme, it's a slightly different type of pension to, to perhaps what most people will have uh, will have will have come across or been used to so a lot of people have come across personal pensions stakeholder pensions maybe even sips uh, self-invested personal pensions um possibly workplace pensions are they're slightly different um but they, you know these are these are very much personal pensions you buy them from a, a big pension company uh it's it's a package product so you're 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 just buying something that's already in existence and you know then you either pick some investment funds yourself or you get somebody to, to pick some investment funds for you. You save into it every month, you get some tax relief. And at some stage in the dim, distant future, it grows into a fund of money. And then, you know, you, you can retire and you can either take um, all of it or you can take a, an income for life out of it, etc., etc. And, you know, that's what a pension is. And, you know, they perhaps don't, they're not particularly well understood or they're not particularly popular or people just a bit grumpy with them or don't understand them. The language that they're explained in is not exactly, you know, what I'd call familiar or, or helpful to, to the general public. Anyway, that's, that, that's most pensions. So a SAS, a small self-administered scheme, the first difference is that it's an occupational pension scheme. It's not a personal pension. So when I say it's an occupational scheme, what that means is it's a, it's a, it's the type of pension scheme that, that an employer has. So like the Marks and Spencer's pension scheme is an occupational pension scheme. The British Airways pension scheme is, a, is an occupational pension scheme. So a SAS falls under the rules of an occupational pension scheme, which means it's regulated by the pensions regulator, which is, a, which is different um, from, from the FCA to start with. Um, some of the rules around occupational pension schemes, generally because they have really large amounts of money invested in them on behalf of thousands of members, is that they're in, allowed to invest in a massively wide variety of investment options um, for diversification reasons. And that gives uh, SAS certain advantages over the other types of pensions that I've, 
that I've mentioned because you have a much wider range of investments that's accessible to yourself. Um, I've said it's an occupational pension scheme, so you do need to be, you do need your own company to set one up. Um, obviously, I know we're talking about property here, and you know a lot of people in property have been advised to set up their own limited companies, um, you know, for tax reasons. So it does mean a lot of your listeners, you know, will qualify as running their own company, and therefore they will qualify as, as being able to instruct their company, to instruct a company such as ourselves, to set up a, a SAS pension scheme for the benefit of the employees of which the directors are are, are, are obviously um, then entitled to join the SAS pension. Um, so I don't want to do the mystique thing because I don't like talking about pensions in, in pensions language. I don't think that's helpful. So, But yeah, a SAS is a, an occupational pension scheme, so it means a company has to set it up and most of your listeners will qualify it. Yeah, that, that's that's a really that's an important distinction. As I've gone through my own journey with SAS, I've learned there are, with many subjects, of course, lots of nuances. And one of the ones that I didn't really realise to start with was actually, yeah, you need a sponsoring company here. You need a company to do that. And some people miss that out until they're a little bit too far down the process. They do, yes. Um, but there are other elements too about what you can invest in, what you can't invest in. Um, and it's interesting you talk about occupational pension schemes in within the parameters of like Martin Spencer stuff because that get, gives a good indication of where it was set up and the reasons for it and some of the objectives of having SAS pensions. It's just that it's actually accessible for smaller investors. You don't have to be Martin Spencer to do it. Yeah, no, it's just it, the, the the rules the rules surrounding SAS are occupational driven, not not personal pension. I mean. You know, SAS came, came about in the early 70s, um, mainly, I think, because a lot of owner-managing directors, you know, perhaps thought that or, or, or didn't have pension provision because they viewed their business as their pension, um, which I, I totally understand, apart from, you know, some businesses are not saleable at retirement, some businesses, unfortunately, you know, do go into insolvency, etc. So there was sort of a concerted effort um, to, to, to make a pension scheme that was attractive to owner-managing directors. And one of the things that, that sort of uh, you know, allowed SAS to be that chosen pension was its ability to buy commercial property. Um, I think the idea was, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Brummie, you'll probably hear that if I say money and loits. Um, I think so coming from where, from, from, from where I do, you know, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of industry in the Midlands um, and the, uh, the ability to, um, to allow the managing director of a foundry, for example, to use his pension fund to actually buy the premises from where his workforce works, meaning that you know, the, the company's got security of tenure for you know, more or less as, as long as the business wants to last and then perhaps even beyond the director, I think was a, was, was a massive step in the right direction um, because obviously it allows the company to, you know, instead of renting premises to well, it rents it off 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 the owner's pension scheme so i mean it's it's a win-win and obviously the employees then as i said have got much more security of of, of income um and all of a sudden directors have, have have changed something that was seen as a cost which would be which would be rent as to something that's actually seen as an investment because they're contributing towards their their own retirement funds so that kind of really put 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 sas back you know on, on the map in the early 70s um, and that is pretty much where it stayed for you know, probably the next 30 years. It was, it was really aimed at owner-managing directors um, buying their own premises, be that the foundry, be that 
um, an, an office space, be that a shop, what whatever really the commercial premises were. Um, it was only really sort of um, perhaps back in 2016 that I think somebody got hold of the one of the facilities of SAS to give what's called a well, what's colloquially called loan back. It's actually an authorised employer loan. Um, but it's colloquially called loan back, which is the ability of a, a, a SAS pension has to to lend a proportion of its funds back to the sponsoring employer um, to allow the business to to, to grow. Um, sort of hijacked in a way, as if to say, well, this could be used to purchase to, to purchase um, property, um, residential property particularly, um, which has been jumped on because, of course, it's a very easy source of. Uh, a very easy source of money um, and basically since 2016 um, SAS has been at the forefront of quite a lot of, uh, of of property conversations which has made us all an awful lot busier. Um, yeah sure so yeah the residential thing we'll maybe um, we'll maybe come back to that but but in terms of the commercial aspect, the, which is really what we're here for, right? Yes. SAS can be used for loads of different investments, but the one that we really want to talk about is commercial property. And without going into all the nuances, some of the things just to point out is you mentioned loan back. Yeah, sure, we can do that, but there is a cap on how much we can loan back. Um, we can borrow for our, into our SAS, but again, there is, a, there is a limitation on how much you can borrow. However... Set against those limitations are some amazing tax advantages. Yes. So the ability to make a contribution to your SAS pension from a year of good profits allows you to mitigate your tax quite substantially. And, Bryn, you know, what, what kind of amount can one put through to the SAS? And, there's, you know, depending on who you are, you get different numbers, right? But if, uh, as a company making a contribution, a one-off contribution to the SAS, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Okay, so I mean, the numbers had been around for a for, for a number, well, probably since about two thousand and four, off the top of my head. Um, anyway, the chancellor recently changed them in the previous budget to say, okay, any individuals allowed to contribute up to sixty thousand um, pounds in a year, or what they've earned, whatever is the lowest, and receive tax relief uh, on it. And obviously, a company can contribute on behalf of its director or multiple directors, as many companies have have more than one. Um, which is which is a reasonable amount of money um, for any year uh, that you haven't contributed the maximum. It used to be forty thousand. It has just recently gone up to sixty thousand. Um, you could also contribute missing years, so the number starts to ratchet up tremendously. And then a SAS has um, a facility called a, a, a general fund, um, and this is really to uh, to cope with years such as windfall profits, and obviously. Um, in lieu of the fact that many directors have spent you know, 15, 20 years growing the business, reinvesting all of their money to grow their business and have really left their pension contributions um, or you know, t totally to the side. So the general fund, um, under certain circumstances, a company is allowed to contribute up to half a million pound in one year into its SAS pension and receive uh, tax relief on it, which is a substantial amount of money for, 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 for any uh, owner-managed business. Um, to be able to contribute to a pension and receive corporation tax relief. Absolutely. Okay, and then the one other source of funds, of course, is somebody who has their own pension sitting somewhere else. There is the ability, not in every case, but there's the ability to transfer over that fund to your new SAS or to your SAS so that you can then start doing more bespoke investing yourself. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, deferred pensions, so pensions from from previous uh, from from previous employment. Um, I mean, the UK has got a really good history of um, of providing um, em employee pensions. Um, thank God, we're m much better than most of our European counterparts. Um, and yeah, I mean, pensions can't go anywhere. There's always going to be a record of of of, of your pension with a company. Um, it's just a case of digging it out. <laughs> I do a talk on this. It's about spending an afternoon digging out who you used to work for, who they've been taken over by, what your national insurance number is, what addresses you lived at at the time, and essentially just hunting um, hunting old pensions, hunting old pensions down. Um, and then, yeah, as long as you fulfil the criteria under the Pensions Act 2021, um, then the major in the majority of cases, those pensions should be able to be transferred over into uh, over into your new SAS. Um, the obvious ones that can't be, uh, just, you know, sorry to bring the disappointment to, to, to those people, but it's the, the blue light and, you know, people that working for the government and the civil service, uh, they have unfunded, and NHS, those people have unfunded pension funds. Um, so basically the government have made a promise that mm. at retirement they will receive a pension. There isn't actually a pool of money um, backing that, um, which, and, you know, if they were allowed to transfer, I think the government uh, potentially make a bust. Make a bust. <laughs> um, so the self-interest there is, 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 is people are not allowed to. Um, local government um, is a bit different. Local government, there is a, there is a pool of money backing um, uh, local government pensions, so they are transferable. Um, but in most other circumstances, then, you know, if, if you've got an old pension, then as long as you fulfil, you know, the Pensions Act 2021 criteria, which is basically there has to be an employment link between you and your the company that has set up the SAS, yep. so your company, which basically means you have to be being paid by your company. Um, <clears throat> you have to be contributing to the SAS pension, um, so it has to be it has to be real. Um, and you may have to, you may you may be sent off to go and have a little chat with um, the money advice service about what a SAS pension is. But if you tick those boxes, then there's uh, you have a statutory right to transfer um, a, a, an old deferred pension in into your SAS and give it a give it a kickstart, and then you know it, you've got self investment opportunities. So perfect. So let, let's just go a little bit deeper. We're talking um, about how to get the money in there, and let's just touch on some of the exciting things you can actually do there. One of those being as a property investor, investing in commercial property. Um, but interestingly, some people don't recognise that actually some of their pensions could be a source of investment funding because um, often funding streams for property investors run out at some point or another. Yes. And some don't really realise that actually you could use your pension for that. But again, there's some parameters around that. However... Commercial property is something you can do. And the element that I get quite excited about is that the SAS allows you to invest in property, commercial property, for your business, for premises, to run your business. And you could invest in commercial property and make that your business and potentially generate an income that is outside of your SAS. And what I mean by that is there's a... You'd be better to correct me on this, Bryn, but there's a facility where if a commercial property sits in your SaaS, it needs to be rented out at market rate. You can't just 
rent it back at a huge figure or indeed at a really low figure. It needs to be at market rate. It does. However, if that property is then managed outside of the SaaS with that regular payment going back, any extra money generated on that property through some service level agreement you've got with customers could potentially sit outside the SaaS. I'm really talking about our CMO strategy, Bryn. Um, yes. Is that your take on it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I mean, you coined the phrase CMO, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you did. I, I, I think the strategy's potentially been done for thousands of sure. years, but nobody named it. And without a name, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to, you know, the, what is the strategy? You've put a name to it, and um, I, I mean, that's been brilliant ever since. So the CMO strategy, which you'll explain better than me, but commercial multiple occupancy, um, it does allow a, a commercial property to be, to be used to generate a profit over and beyond what would, what would be normal considered to be the market rent. So it does allow you know, a lot of entrepreneurial use, um, both of, of SaaS pension funds and, and of commercial properties, which, as I said previously, you know, the idea of a SaaS pension essentially was for commercial property, it fits like a hand in a glove. So to be entrepreneurial with said commercial property, um, I think is really exciting. Yeah, so it, it, it opens up opportunities for people that just didn't really realise they were there. They may have had a good career, they've been putting pension fund, their, con their contributions have been coming in thick and fast for them from their employer, but actually the default position is, well, I can't access this until I'm 60 or whatever. And, and as you say, sometimes you even forget about where they are and you spend an afternoon trying to find them, right? Yes. But actually, hold on a minute, we could potentially invest this now and generate an income outside now. Well, absolutely. I think, I mean, you know, training would, training is key, but the idea of being able to use, you know, an old employer's pension to essentially start and create a, a business for somebody now to run, you know, in their late 40s, uh, sorry, their late 30s, their, their 40s, you know, before pensionable age, um, to start up another business, to become entrepreneurial again, using funds that they actually thought were locked away potentially until their 60s. I think it's a really exciting development. Um, I know it's something that we, as you know, f uh, f fully back and, uh, and are very excited to see where, you know, w where this leads. Yeah, so we have to put in the small print here, right? We're not giving anybody advice on this this particular episode, but Bryn, we will put, obviously put all your details in the show notes and everything so people can get in touch. But the principle here is you can lend money or buy assets, sorry, commercial assets within the pension and run a business outside it. However, that can't be the business. <laughs> there needs to be a sponsoring business to get this process started. So I just want to cover one other question I get asked quite a lot before we jump onto examples, and that is, what's kind of the minimum amount of money I can do this with, Brent? And maybe a slightly more pointed question to our discussion is, what is the smallest commercial purchase you've seen that's worked within a SaaS? <laughs> Some very Value good questions. Wise. Thank you. I, I get asked these I get asked these at most at most talks I give. Um, and the audience often say something along the lines of I've been told that it's not worth etc 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 and I'm sick of this. Um, I, I, 
I call them pompous pensions people, I'm not a fan of them, um, trying to say that you haven't got enough money to, to have a SAS. Um, so I come from the school of thought that hates being told what, what, what I can do and therefore I hate telling other people you know, anything that they can and can't do. We're all individuals. We're, uh, many of us listening to this are entrepreneurial. So you know, we're the creative ones. If, what you need is you need an idea and then you need to, to, to be given the ability to go off and, and do it yourself. So let's say a SaaS, right. So the minimum you need to set up a SaaS is absolutely zero. Zero, none, nada. What you do need is you need to pay um, our setup fees and our annual management fees, whoopee, um, and you need, you, you, need, you need a plan. Why are you setting up the SaaS? Why are you paying a company such as ourselves to set up and administer a SaaS for you? And as long as the plan is going to make sense, then you're going to find us quite willing to listen to you. So the plan could be, quite simply, um, I'm going to make a windfall profit this year. I already know I'm going to because I already have. It's just not year end yet. So I want to set up a SaaS pension scheme to, to make a large one-off contribution before year end to reduce my corporation tax. That's a perfectly valid reason to set up a SaaS with, with zero. Secondly, um, I have a large deferred pension from my previous employer that I am going to bring into the SaaS and use to invest. Therefore, I want to set up a SaaS with zero because I'm going to bring an old pension along. Another perfectly valid reason to set up a SaaS um, with, with zero. Um, in terms of investments, it's not up to me to tell you what, what amount of, of, of asset purchase you, 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 can, you can find value in. So I do have some, some salient examples of quite small, um, quite, quite small numbers. Now, I know your good friend and mine, Stephen Gallagher, bought a shop for £35,000 in, 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 in Hamilton, Scotland. So there's a, a, there's a commercial property for not a lot of money. And this doesn't even need to be a SaaS, to be fair. This is £35,000 that you, know, you could spend out of your own bank account. Um, I'm from Birmingham and you know, driving around Cradley Heath, which is an area in Birmingham that you know, perhaps could do with some regeneration. It's not beyond the wit of the wit of a person to buy to buy a shop with a top for for, for sixty thousand pounds, which isn't a lot of money. There's a sort of a, a an idea of how much you could put into a SaaS and actually buy a commercial asset. Um, one of our clients actually bought um, some some lockup garages. Uh, he wanted to turn them into storage for uh, for, for local tradespeople. The lockup garages. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant idea. So that was six lockup garages for thirty thousand um, pounds, and there's all sorts of examples out there of uh, of, of commercial property, um, you know, b being sold for, for ostensibly not very much money at all. I think all local councils have to um, provide a provide a list online of all of the uh, of all of the buildings that they own that are actually up for sale, and you you might even find weird things like old public toilets that are now disused. Um, essentially for sale at a, a, well, almost a destructive price because um, because they can't do anything else with them. And, you know, entrepreneurs are welcome to buy these things and, you know, turn them into any any kind of, you know, a commercial commercial enterprise that you want. You know, the idea of, you know, pop-up fireworks shops or coffee shops or, you know, there's, 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 it, it's, it's not for me to say I'm not a commercial property investor, but I, I know hundreds of, of you and, you're all remarkable people and you never cease to amaze me what 
what ideas you can uh, you can repurpose property into. So, yeah, don't let anybody tell you that you haven't got enough money. It's about it's about your vision and it's about your drive and it's about your ability to you know to find a bargain and turn it into you know turn it into something that will make you a profit. Diversification in commercials the same in any other industry. Buying one is risky because it's all in one place, right? It's all in one basket. So I think there's a couple of things about commercial property that people really need to know. One, it's not as liquid as residential. So if you buy a commercial asset and you want to then trade it, sure, if you add value, you get a good client, it's possible to do that. But it's a little bit more tricky. And actually, investing in commercial, I feel the best way to get good return and momentum, which is one of the key things about commercial property investing, is by holding on to it. So as you grow that pension pot, that property fund, whatever you want to call it, adding more assets into it is part of the game. And you said there, you know, having a plan at the start is really important. And for some people... The plan might initially be, oh, I want to buy a commercial property, but actually let's look at buying more than one and let's not look at buying the Empire State Building on day one. Let's just start with something more simple. So that question about the how much, and you've, you've, we've started talking about examples, which we're going to go on to more in a second, but how much should one put in or how much can one start with? Well, actually you can start with what you've got because ultimately this is not a single destination. You've got to then add to it add some more funds in, look at doing more property. But the one thing you can't really do in there, just as a little nuance, is trading. Is that right, Bryn? Yes, that's right. So we can't go and buy one, sell it, buy one, sell it. That's not quite within the rules. Um, so you need to be thinking a little bit more strategically about how long you want to keep these and how you're going to derive more income from them. But essentially using your SaaS to buy the commercial property allows you to start that process and to grow income both inside and, as we discussed there, if you use certain strategies outside of the SaaS. So the question being, how much? I think under under £50,000 is possible, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's not for me to... To, 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 sure. to tell somebody. It's, but there are assets out there that will do that. Yeah, if they can see value that using a pension, you know, gets them gets them closer to, to their goal and we can help, then, you know, a conversation is free. Yeah. Okay, right. So let's move on to some examples. You mentioned about the lockups. I just want to just, just touch on the numbers around that one, right? Because you mentioned how much they were to buy. Yes. How much was the income? And obviously, twenty-five pound about- a week times six, seven thousand eight hundred and twenty-five pound a year off the top of my head from a thirty thousand pound investment. Yeah, not too bad, not too shabby. And you know, we're not going to talk about names in this, but it's interesting just to look at those different um, sizes and the, diff- the diversity of products you can buy in commercial. So we're not buying. Um, uh, a residential property with maybe two bedrooms, three bedrooms, four bedrooms, whatever. This is a lockup garage. Somebody else might buy a toilet and turn it into a costa, right? Yeah, I'm going to touch on one of your favourite <laughs> strategies as well, because this, I think, this one's quite an interesting um, concept. But certainly for those of us that live in big cities with uh, with contaminated land of, of some description, and you'll know more of this. But there's nothing to stop a SAS buying 
some contaminated land, which you could pick up for not particularly much money, renting it off to Opco. Opco puts your favourite thing, which is shipping containers on it, and uh, does the garage thing only with shipping containers. Yeah. And you can talk about that more than more than I can. But it's just a, it's an interesting way of the SaaS working with the with the Opco in combination, and you've got money inside the pension, money outside the pension, um, and you could do this at any age. Yeah, it's interesting. Just. Uh, well, we're trying not to go down any rabbit warrens, right? We did disagree that at the start. Yeah, frame, we did, right? yeah. But I'm just going <laughs> to just take a quick detour because we're talking about my favourite thing, containers. The containers themselves are movable assets. They are, yes. So the SaaS can't invest in the containers. No. However, as you say, it's done outside. And the interesting thing about containers, of course, is it can have higher um, purchase yes. funding put on them. So there is a way of using combining the SaaS and other ways of funding outside of the SaaS to make that work. It's a really interesting model. Um, okay, so the public conveniences. Okay. Um, you mentioned that one. That one really did become a Costa, right? It was a coffee shop. Was it, the it was Costa a, or was it a coffee, coffee shop? Coffee shop. Um, I'd have to look at the notes from the from the SaaS consultant who bought me the case. Um, but, yeah, there's the... It's, look, it never ceases to amaze me, um, property people's le levels of, uh, of, of creativity. Um, it, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd like to say yes, um, wherever, wherever we can. Our job is, is to look at the, the, pension, the pensions tax manual and the legislation and to, to, to keep our member trustees within, within the rules. Um, beyond that, let your imagination. Well, your imaginations do go, do go wild. We've been asked about land and glamping, especially in Scotland. Obviously, there's um, you know there's a lot of capacity for for tourism. Um, I've been asked about a, a, I've been asked about barns uh, to turn into in, into into you know super beautiful houses, and of course, a barn isn't isn't a dwelling currently. So so that's allowable. Um, there's all sorts of things to get our to get our thinking caps round and. What I really like is that is that SaaS pensions certainly are, are coming out of the stuffy regime of of pensions and actually being a tool for for entrepreneurs to to, to utilise to help grow you know their own their own businesses, which it's a really exciting time for for, for us and a, you know long may it continue. Yeah, we in the future you and I are going to do a few more sessions, right? Not necessarily on the podcast, but with our CPI network members, just around some of those nuances. So you mentioned there about the glamping and we spoke about the containers. It sounds like great, but actually you need two facets there to fund that, to make one part um, in the pension and one part outside. Yes. And you mentioned there about glamping and we briefly off air spoke about a part of hotels and, you know, how does that really work? And there are nuances there that really are only going to be able to, you're only going to be able to interpret them on specifics for each project, right? Yes, very much so. Uh, uh, yes, very project by project driven. I mean, you've 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 you touched on earlier that a SaaS can't trade, uh, obviously, which is true. Um, so with the you know, with property, there is a lot of splitting um, between between the property ownership and then and then the, the business that does the trade. And a, a care home is 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 classic. So a SaaS pension can own a care home, but it can't operate a care home. So that I mean, in one scenario, the, the, your SaaS pension could buy the care home, and then you know, an, an, a completely different operating company you could rent out a license for twenty-five years, or if that was what you wanted to do, you could you could operate the care home yourself, but not th through the SaaS. You would have to have an operating company that ran the SaaS. Same with a hotel, for example, you could rent it out to a hotel operator, such as you know, I, 
I'm allowed to, I'm Premier Inn just as an example, but other, other hotel chains do exist. Um, <laughs> if I'm supposed to say that, I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, don't write, okay, but, uh, blank that one out, please. Um, you know, a hotel operator chain to operate the hotel and you would own the building and, and receive a rent for that. So, I mean, working with property property entrepreneurs, it is fascinating how many different ideas that you that you you um, that, that people come up with. Um, as I said, it's a really exciting exciting time to be to be working with SaaS pensions um, and seeing how much we can help. Okay, right. So another example, because <coughs> we say there's a lot of different layers to this market, and let's just talk about a retail example. So this was one that was actually discussed an event we were at last night. Um, gentleman who bought two separate retail units which were adjacent to each other. So they were attached, but they were separate purchases. But they they hit that interesting layer in the market with retail where you have a lot of high streets with small units, medium-sized units, and then the large units. And there seems to be, just my interpretation, I might be completely wrong about this, but I've spent a bit of time looking at this. So small units quite often they are under the rates threshold, which allows local traders to get in, start their business, or at least move their business in from somewhere else and operate without having the liability of business rates holding them back. The medium-sized units, though, often hold a little bit longer because it's difficult to find a local trader who wants that size of unit who's willing to pay the business rates. And then you've got the larger units, which tend to be occupied by national companies and they don't necessarily want to have those medium size so you've got this little bit in the middle that kind of gets stuck where it's not a big enough one for a national and it's not small enough for a local trader so it's a problem right and as an entrepreneur we're like well how do we fix that well we're either going to have to make a big one or we're going to have to make some smaller ones and in this particular case um he took on two retail units and split them into six to breach that rates threshold. So maybe you could just tell me a little bit. I mean, I've told quite a lot about it there, Ben, but maybe just tell us a little bit about the numbers. Jerry, you listened very well. You've obviously made copious notes and I can I can see you doing this yourself. Um, yeah, the, the, the I mean, he won't mind me mentioning his name, actually. It's Brian Harvey, a colleague of mine at Retirement Capital. This was his own, you know, his own SAS in a in a town close to where he where he lives. And that's exactly yes what he did. He bought the two medium-sized units, which uh, which which did have business rates um, chargeable to them, so they they weren't renting. Um, he split them down into six smaller units, which was below the the business rate threshold. So he bought them with his SAS because his SAS had bought them. His SAS was also allowed to pay the hundred and twenty thousand pound. I think it cost. Um, the redevelopment costs to knock them into six smaller units, which were all below uh, business rates. They then rented like hotcakes to, as you said, local tradespeople. Um, the rent uh, he generated, he, again, he won't mind me saying this was £40,000 a year. Um, so he had it revalued. And this is the amazing thing about commercial, which um, I'll tell you a story in a bit that I, where I didn't, I, before I understood this, um, cost myself quite a lot of money. Um, and it is very difficult for, I suppose, um, residential um, investors to, 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 to grasp this because it doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, but six units um, that were exactly the same size as two units because the rent was £40,000 a year, uh, he had them revalued and they were £400,000, not the two hundred and forty that he'd cost and spent. Yeah, because he spent yeah, 130 or something 100, on them, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, 120 to buy, 120 to redevelop. Yep. 
revalued 400 the within the SaaS, uh, no, no tax on the uplift even when he sells them. So that's a completely tax-free gain. Um, and the, obviously the rent is tax-free in the SaaS as well. It's going back to some of the tax advantages that we discussed. So it won't take long to, um, to, save, to save up to buy another, yeah. another, another one. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a good one, and and you know we should have maybe discussed some of those tax advantages at the top of the show, but it it it's interesting how fast the momentum can grow in a commercial property business when you don't have to pay your big partner HMRC. Yes, very fast, um, and of course with the revaluation, the SAS has become revalued to four hundred thousand pounds, which means he can now borrow half of that, which is two hundred thousand pounds, if he wants to go again. Um, so it's it, you know it's a it's it's a virtuous circle, and that's that's a, that's a very interesting way of growing your property portfolio within your SaaS um, as as a as a as a as a property entrepreneur. Again, it's just another nuance that we talk about. I mean, I've I've worked with this product on and off for thirty years, um, and yes, I'm, I'm, some people would consider me an expert, but I must admit I still learn, you know, off my colleagues. On, on a weekly basis of different nuances that I've not come across before. And um, it's what fascinates, uh, it, it's what fascinates uh, the, f f for me um, about this. And then, of course, entrepreneurs are always you know, asking new, new, new questions, pushing the envelope. Um, there's new technologies coming on. There's, there's new ways of using buildings, which, of course, you're, you're into repurposing buildings. And I just think it's really interesting. It really keeps the grey matter um, <laughs> ticking, ticking over, which uh, which is which keeps us coming to work every day. And you mentioned um, your own experience there of Mistake. not using <laughs> a SaaS. Well, it, it still worked out right, but it just wasn't in the SaaS. Maybe you just yes. tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, well, this, uh, yeah, I was a residential property investor myself. Who, who. Um, back, this is back in the days of the IFA firm. I, I decided to to purchase the office that we, we worked out of basically for security of tenure, um, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was on a high street in a, in a, in a, in a town down in, uh, down in the Midlands. Um, and my business was going well, it was growing, um, and an office came up for sale uh, about three miles away, and I thought, well, I could have a satellite office. So I, uh, I went to view it, and I asked how much it was, and it was as much as mine, and it was a third the size of mine. I said to the commercial agent, that's ridiculous. Um, this area isn't like three times better than where, where I am. What, what's driving the price? And he said, well, it's got, um, it's got, it's got food license, hasn't it? Like, as if I knew what that meant. So I, so I didn't, so I asked. And he said, well, if you've got a license for food, then you get, you get an awful lot more rent. And I went, my God, you need to come and have a look at my office because it's on a high street. And bless, he, he did. Um, and he told me I'd get two and a half times the rent that I'd be paying if I got a food license. So yeah, we spent six months uh, obtaining a food license from from Walsall Council, and we got that. Um, and uh, the, the rent was valued at, as I said, twenty five thousand pound a year, as opposed to what we were paying. And um, the commercial valuation came up at, and said it was worth three hundred and ten thousand pound, and I paid one hundred and fifty five for it six months ago. And I could not. <laughs> I literally thought somebody was pulling my leg. Paperwork exercise. I did not, I didn't just, it blew my mind because I thought like a residential person that the building hasn't grown twice in size. And once you get your head around the paperwork exercise, the asset management exercise, um, you know, and the whole CMO idea, then it's, I think, well, it's astonishing what, what, what you could, how you can repurpose commercial property.
Yeah, so it wasn't a mistake. It was just unfortunate that it, that, that gain sat outside the sass. Yes, but, it's unfortunate yeah, that the gain yeah. sat outside the sass. Okay, right. So just the last thing I want to touch on, um, again, any of these topics we've spoken about could really be a whole podcast in themselves. But just to remind people, um, the SAS is in an unregulated space. Yes. Um, so we just need to be aware, buyer aware, of some of the things you can and can't do. And we've tried to touch on those. We're not giving you advice, but we've tried to touch on some of those and really to give you the questions to ask. And we briefly mentioned residential, and that's one of the ones that comes up in heated conversations. Uh, people feel they've got a way of getting around that and working a way if they can use their SaaS to buy or invest through into residential property, et cetera, et cetera. But... Realistically, in a few words. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in a few words. Uh, retirement capitals use square peg round hole. <laughs> yeah, square peg round hole, yeah. Okay. And it might be worth pointing out, whether it's residential or another process or part of, because there's, there's steps to buying this stuff. If you make a mistake, HMRC's penalty for making mistakes is how much? So it's 40% unauthorized payment charge. Yeah. So you find a great asset, you think it's going to work, you go and do it and then discover it's outside the realm of a SaaS, you are going to be hit by a 40%. What was the official title of that? 40%? Unauthorized payment charge. Yeah. There then go. there's also a 15% scheme sanction charge as well, payable uh, by the administrator. Um, so us being the administrator, so you would probably have found if... They weren't sure whether you um, could or should be doing it, then you'll have signed a waiver to say you'll pay that as well. So that's 55% of, of, of the pension fund gone now, potentially. Yeah. So I just so, don't think it's worth it. Um, you know, revenue are looking, to, are looking for low-hanging fruit is, is the sensible way of looking at it. And why take a risk with, 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 the pen, with your pension fund? Just don't, don't see the point. It's not something that, generally speaking, you would want to take much of a risk with especially when there's so many other ways of, of, making, of making tremendous returns um, safely. Yeah. So the other extreme of that, though, just to mention, is that some um, advisors, providers, whatever, particularly more in the SIP direction, we've not really spoken too much about SIPs, may advise of things that you are not allowed to do. But that might actually be just things they don't want to do because it's too much complication, too much hassle for them. And you just have to remember, advice is um, just that. It's advice. And your job, our job as investors, is to go out and find enough information to be able to go and make the right decision. SIP. Should we just quickly touch on a SIP? Or should we leave that for another episode? Maybe we should leave that for another episode, Ben, right? Okay, um, I think we should probably stop there. We're going to, in the show notes, put in details about how yep. they can get in touch with you, Bryn. Um, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on here. <laughs> you you spend a lot of time in your car going out advising, helping people with their SAS pensions. And Bryn will be coming to an event near you soon, I'm sure. Um, you're on the road often, Bryn. What sort of um, locations do you go to? What events? <laughs> Up and down the M1 a lot. Yep. So <laughs> in the last three weeks, so London to Dundee. Um, which is what's five or six hundred miles up and down the uh, up and down the M1, 
also been known to visit the M, the M, M6 and M5 as well. Um, and, and the central belt of the of the Midlands and Manchester. So, um, hey, look, I, I, I love talking about SaaS. I love coming to events. I love meeting entrepreneurs. I'm, so I'll see you at an event uh, near you soon. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Bryn. Thanks for your time. That's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jared. Mm-hmm.